Our topic this week is out of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, Nehemiah's nighttime ride. Picking up in verse 8, The king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And he's referencing the events that took place in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, where he had heard that the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down. He was grieved by it. He went into four months of praying and fasting and, and uh, very, it really took him to heart. It really took, took him, uh, took it seriously and was very, very concerned. And it showed on his face to the point where the king saw it and, and timing just right, he asked, uh, why are you sad? And Nehemiah stayed in prayer, even as the conversation was going on. And he uh, shared with the king what was on his heart. And the king granted permission to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to fix up the walls, and promised financing and letters of passage and safety. And so that then Nehemiah praises God and gives glory to God that the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So Nehemiah trusting God before, during, and after that event. And that picks up, where that leaves us off where we're picking up this week in verse 9. He travels to Jerusalem. Verse 9, I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So beyond the river, uh, maybe the Euphrates River and then all the passage all the way through, or beyond the Jordan River in the Israel proper and getting closer to Jerusalem. But he's showing the letters and he's got the captains of the army and horsemen with him. And that's interesting because it's just a few years earlier, I forget, maybe 13 years or so earlier, that Ezra also came before the same king and asked permission to go to Jerusalem with a group of people and finances and the king granted him that and they went, but Ezra did not want to ask the king for guards to go with him and letters of safe passage because he said he had been boasting about God so much he didn't want the king to think his God is not able to protect him. And so, you know, my God is mighty, my God is the creator of all the heavens and the earth, and this is the, the Jerusalem is where we worship him and in the center where he has called his name, the city is called by his name, and, and that he wants us to sacrifice to him, uh, but he's not strong enough to protect us. So he was a little afraid of asking for that. But Nehemiah uh, doesn't seem to have those qualms, and so Nehemiah either asked for or accepted, the king might have volunteered it, and accepted it. And the king said, look, you're in my official position here, you're my, uh, you're my, uh, uh, one of my servants, and you're under the authority, and so I want you to have a armed guard. And Nehemiah could have rejected it, but he didn't, he accepts it. So there are times where we need to just trust God, and there are times where we lock our doors and uh, you know, take all safety precautions that we can with the wisdom of God that he has given to us. And there's a balance to know uh, when and what to do. And, and we trust that Ezra was hearing God and that the king needed to know that God was mighty and see that demonstrated through his safe passage, miraculous safe passage, and also know that there's times to uh, trust in God while using human means to help continue that safety. And so may God give us wisdom in, in whatever situation you're in, in, uh, in that type of a scenario of needing uh, to trust God uh, and to use whatever human means to bring about the answer to God's prayer that uh, is available to us. Then verse 10, when Sanblat the Hornonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Now that's interesting. Here these two guys are, this, this hornet guy and this, uh, this uh, Ammonite guy, and uh, who's an official, uh, is disturbed that someone from the king palace is coming to help people within the kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom of Persia. And they're not happy that the king is sending help to them. People of the land. But that's how it always is. As God pours out his blessings, as God is on the move, Satan is not happy. And he will stir up 
in hearts and minds of people to oppose the work of God. And it's part of human nature as well. We see that going all the way back to Adam and Eve, where Cain was not happy that God was blessing Abel, that God accepted Abel's offering. And so he got mad. Abel didn't seem to, you know, push his way on, on Cain. But Cain is not happy that Abel's being blessed, and so then he goes and kills him. And we see that in human nature, again, since the beginning of time and down through the ages. There are some that live and want to just live, right? So they want to do their thing, and you do your thing. You know, as long as your thing doesn't interrupt my life, you got the freedom to do it. You know, and as long as my thing is not interrupting your life, I should have the freedom to do it. But then there's another class of people that if they're not happy about something, if they don't want to do something, if they don't want to eat something, if they don't want to live a certain way, they don't just say, well, I'm just not going to do that. They say that nobody should do that. And they want to impose their way of living upon everybody. And that's part of what these guys are doing. They don't want them to be blessed. They don't, it's not just like, well, okay, we do our thing. The king made me an official and we got our lives and they got their lives and the king wants to do for them. Well, hey, that's okay, whatever with them. But no, there's this jealousy, this looking at others, looking at others' plates and looking what other people have and don't have and sneaking and looking over their fence and prying into other people's privacy. It's a horrible thing. Part of the human nature in sin. And it's not good. It's not healthy. Shouldn't be pushing our ways. We see it in religious circles. Right? Uh, Jews, for the most part, Judaism today anyway, for the most part, just wants to live its Judaism. We just want to live our Judaism. Just leave us alone. Let us live our Judaism. Where Christianity, on the other hand, says... We want to live as God has directed us and shown us and, and blessed us. And it's so wonderful, we want to have the opportunity to share it with other people, tell other people, so they can enjoy these blessings on the, uh, themselves. And Islam says, we're miserable and we want everybody else to be miserable too. And we're going to force our miserableness on everybody until everybody in the world is miserable and if they don't want to join, then we'll just kill them. Right? And so you have these kind of mindsets out there that, that, uh, that are not happy with other people just living their lives. Or the people being blessed or not blessed or whatever. But want to interrupt into their lives. And so that's part of it, just the human nature. But then there's also specifically here that God is blessing and thus Satan is really not happy about that. And so he stirs up opposition. This guy is an official. What kind of an official is unhappy or kind of official if he's put in a position to whatever position it is to have some kind of say over the people to not be happy that the people are going to be uh to, that someone's come to seek their well-being right that should be a good thing but it's amazing there are people and you know when you think about those type of classes of people that that I, they said those that just want to leave me alone just leave me alone i just want to do my thing you know, be happy, or the type that want to control everybody else and have a say in everything that happens in your life. Which type of person do you think strives for positions of oversight over others? Whether government positions, whether teaching positions, whether homeowner association presidents or whatever, which type of personality strives for those kind of positions over influence over other people? the ones that want to control everybody else. So then you end up with these people in official positions that want to do nothing but control other people's lives. I'm not saying everybody in those positions have that because the person can have, well, I just want to help and seek the well-being of, of everybody in my area. But there's a tendency of those who want to control everybody else and make them live just like I want to live, seek out those positions. And that's what you end up in society over a period of time. We see that Track down through history, eventually nations succumb to, to that type of situation where they end up with rulers who just want to control all their peasants. 
and then you end up with a revolt, and, and, and the whole cycle starts over and over again. Anyway, that's how it's been in history past. And so here are these guys, they're there, he's got some kind of official position, and he's not happy about the well-being of those in his district or those in his area. And so we need to allow God to search our hearts and minds and what's, how are we, you know, are we wanting to manipulate and control everybody else? And it could be on the big scale, it could be on a small scale, in our families, in our communities, in our congregation. You know, sometimes that's how it is. Uh, and we need to allow God to seek us, search our hearts, and show us whether we're more like Cain, unhappy that Cain, Abel's being blessed. He should say, well, I want to offer my fruit. God wants to receive it. He can. If God doesn't want to receive it, well, I'll have to live with the consequences of that. Abel wants to offer his sacrifice of, uh, of, of an animal sacrifice. Well, he can do that. I mean, that's what Abel did. We don't see Abel going over to Cain and saying, hey, guy, why don't you do what's right here? You know, you better offer a lamb sacrifice or I'm going to tell dad or I'm going to, you know, fine you or whatever. He said, look, this is what, the, what God instructed us to do. This is what I'm going to do. You do whatever you want to do. <laughs> but Cain was the one that wasn't happy. And not only not happy, went and killed his brother. So what type of attitude are we more like? What is our tendency more like? We might not go physically kill them, but do we kill their reputation? Do we work to undermine their work? Or just even in our minds and our hearts or words? May God search us and try us and show us. Verse 11, I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Now, this is interesting and we're going to see this play out in the next few verses. But he's there three days. He came there and obviously drew a lot of attention. Here he is with the captain of the army or some captain of the army and horsemen and coming into Jerusalem. And they must be wondering, what is he doing here? And then he's there for three days and doesn't seem to do anything for three days. And maybe the first day they were all anxious. Oh, no, he's here from the king. Oh, no, he's here to pry on our on what we're doing, he's going to report back to the king, oh no, we're in trouble now, or, or what is he here to do? Why is he here? He's going to change some rules here, is he here to take charge? What on earth is he doing here for? And then maybe on the second day, some other maybe suspicions, well, he didn't do anything the first day, who knows maybe why he's here, what's, what's he here? Maybe he's here to take our gold, maybe he's here to tax us, why is he here? And then by the third day, they they get bored with it and they go back to their own lives. They got, you know, they got to go plow the field again. They got to go and do something, right? Go cook the meal. And so they stop worrying about why is this guy here? And they get back to their work. And that could be why he's there for three days and doesn't seemingly do anything. Because then in verse 12, it says, I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So he's there three days, and even on the fourth day, he's saying, I haven't really told anyone yet what's on my heart. I haven't told anyone why I'm really here. He doesn't even trust the animals. He only takes one animal with him that night. He doesn't really want the animals to say anything. He's keeping this a secret. He's keeping the lid on this thing for a reason. And I went out by night through the valley gate and to the serpent well and the refuge gate, and I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. And then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and I viewed the wall and then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. The, official did, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the Kohanim, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So he basically hadn't told anyone yet, maybe a few people with him, but he hadn't told really anybody from leadership on down why he's there or what he's doing. 
And there, he no doubt had his reasons. And again, maybe he wanted the rumors to kind of settle down and the people not to think ahead of why he's there and to guess ahead. And then when he goes to share it, they're not really listening. They're trying to filter it through what they thought he was there for. But he didn't want them to know right away. I mean, he easily could have sent the messengers ahead of him. There he is traveling with, with the army or some of the army and, and people with him. And he easily could have sent one person ahead, a messenger on a very fast uh, animal to, to run ahead and to tell the message, hey, look, guess what the king said? We can rebuild the walls and the MI is coming with the finances and the permission slips and the, all the decrees to do so. But he didn't want people to know yet. He's waiting for the right time and the right opportunity. He wanted to see it for himself. And not with people flowering it up and decorating it up and making it look better than it might be or worse or whatever, or influencing him or talking in his ear. He wanted to just see it as it's been and as it is. To assess the situation, to get a real handle on what is taking place. And so for three days, he let the rumors die down. He's listening with his ear of what people are saying in the streets. And then at night, he goes and views the walls and gets a, his own personal view of the situation as it sits. And there are times in our lives where we need to tell the world, and there's other times where... We need to wait for the right time. For example, there, you might make a decision to improve your life. Maybe you want to um, get further education, or, or maybe you want to seek a different position at, at the office or job or, or skill level. Uh, or maybe you want to make a change in your lifestyle, maybe to stop some habit or lose some weight or do something. And there are some people who you tell, and they will work to discourage you, right? Certainly in the work situation, if you're going to be applying for this new opening or this, this uh, promotion or this raise, and there's other people there who are also applying for that, you don't want to tell them. You don't want to get this competition going, have them working against you. And there are some people in your life who just don't want you to succeed for whatever reason, and lots of different evil reasons for that. Maybe jealousy, well, it's... They succeed in overcoming that thing? Well, then I'll feel inadequate that I haven't overcome in a similar area in my life. And we just work against each other, unfortunately, in our carnal nature. And so there's some people that you don't want to tell, but there are other people who you want to tell. There are people who you want to tell who are going to encourage you and, and keep track of you and, and, and help you and build you up and, and remind you and cheer you on as you go from victory to victory in that new task, that new desire that you're undertaking, and those are the ones we want to tell at the right time. And there are others that we wait until the right opportunity to let it be known. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. Yeshua did a similar thing. He tells his disciples at the last Passover, after three and a half years with them, and he tells them, Yeshua said, I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. So he didn't tell them everything because it wasn't time for them to know everything and also because they weren't ready to receive everything. He had already told them some things that they hadn't even yet received yet. He already told how he's going to die and they didn't accept that. So they're not going to receive that. They're not ready to receive other insights that he wants to share with them. So there are times in our lives where people are just not ready to receive the next installment of information about your life or, or even about the gospel. Right? There's no sense sharing who the beast is and what the mark of the beast is with someone who doesn't know the lamb. If they don't know the lamb of God, then what's good is knowing who the beast powers. All that will do is instill fear because they won't have any power or protection against, those, against the beast power and his mark. Even if we know what it is, and we do know what it is, the Bible makes it clear, but if they're not ready to receive it, why share it? If someone hasn't received the Messiah in their heart to give them power and grace to have victory over sin, 
What good is it to share the commandments? They're just laying burdens on them that they can't keep anyway. Is everything in its order? Introducing the love of God, the power of God, the forgiveness of God, the deliverance of God, the victory in God, and then step by step on the commandments of God and the, and the good paths and the good things that he has instructed to us for our own good and for the good of others. And then prophecy and various different things. Everything in its time. Yeshua took his time. Nehemiah took his time on revealing <laughs> certain aspects of truth. And we need the wisdom of God in our daily lives and as we interact with others around us. So then on the fourth day, he comes to them and he said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lays waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. So right here in this slide, we see three aspects of his little speech here. Maybe his speech was longer than that. I imagine it was, but here it's summarized here into three segments. He presents the problem. You see the distress we're in and how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. They had seen that, they had known that. But you know, sometimes a problem is there and it just lays there and it lays there and it lays there and eventually you start ignoring it. Stop listening to that noise coming out of the engine, you know? Uh, that tail, the, the uh, bumper that's fallen off or whatever, you know? Just start living with it. Well, it hasn't fallen off yet. It probably won't fall off for a while more. And you just, Go on with life until someone points it out to you. Like it points out the problem, reminds them of the problem that they already know about, but have just given up on doing anything about it. And then he encourages them to, let's build it. Let's do what you have been wanting to do all along. So encourages them, strengthens them, and then tells them what will be the results of doing so, that we may no longer be a reproach. And that's what God does for us. He sends his Holy Spirit, it convicts us of right and wrong, sin and righteousness and judgment to come, gives us an unfeeling, unsettling guilt in our hearts and minds even before we know the Lord. And then we open our eyes and look for hope. And then he shows, look, look to the Lord, look to the Messiah who's been lifted up for you, who's died for you, to build you up, to strengthen you, to give you a new heart and a new mind, to make all things new. And your reproach will be removed. Your sins will be forgiven. Your life will change. You'll have victory over sin. And you'll have strong walls. And no one will be able to affect you anymore. The devil's temptations won't have a hold on you anymore. The three-step process. Now, Nehemiah is not introducing anything here than they've already known. They already knew the walls were broken down. They already knew and already wanted to build it up. And they already knew that if it was built up, then the reproach wouldn't be there anymore. But they had lacked heart. We're talking about a hundred years since the initial Cyrus decree to go and to build in, up Jerusalem. And a little step-by-step -step progress had been made over those hundred years. But it was with fits and stops. It would go and start building the temple and then there was opposition and it stopped for a while. Then Darius makes a decree and then we were able to build again and we finished building. And then it lacks time for a while and the walls still aren't getting built for 50-something years. Ezra comes and starts a revival. Some things start going forward. Spiritual hearts are renewed. But then after 13 years, the walls are still broken down. So Nehemiah comes and gives that last little push to it to encourage them to do what they already had set out to do. And that's good. Fortunately, sometimes people will come into our lives who want to change everything and upset everything different than what God has already set in place. We see that. We see that sometimes a, a political leader will come in, whether a local level, a new mayor, a new governor, a new president, whatever, will come in 
and change everything that's already been set and already been agreed upon, has a new idea, a new way, and wants to push forward their view on everyone else. Sometimes a new person will come into a family. Maybe a person is a widow or a widower and has kids, and they'll marry someone else, someone else will come into the family and want to change everything that's already been established. Sometimes that happens in a congregation. The spiritual leader will retire or die or move or whatever, and then someone new comes in and he's got new ideas and a new plan and a new thing and want to move in a new direction. And everything will change course for a while, and then they will move on or die or whatever, retire. And another person will come in and no, this is the way to go now, and this is what we need to do. And instead of working with the congregation has already felt God moving upon their hearts and minds, maybe moving them forward to do and to live all up to what they have been called to do, like Nehemiah is doing. And sometimes it's a new public leader, a front leader, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just someone who just comes in. They might be up front, they might be in leadership position, or they might not be. In some congregations, there's a person controlling everything, manipulating everything, who's never up front, who doesn't preach, doesn't sing, doesn't, but sits in the background and uses their phone or whatever to influence and manipulate things and change things because they are like Sam Blatt and that other guy, Yamanite, Tobiah, and just unhappy with things and don't want things moving forward according to God's plan. And constantly negatively and tearing down the work of God. But we see Nehemiah as a good example of coming into people's lives, and God has called us to come into people's lives and to move them forward, to coach them and encourage them and build them up, to, do all, to be all that God has called them to be, not to dictate in their lives and tell them what they should do, but to give them wise counsel, encourage them in prayer and the word of God to follow the word of God according to what God has called them to do. And that's what we see Nehemiah doing. And then he continues on, and he says, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So then he starts giving testimony. He didn't told that in the beginning. First he just started with, hey, look, this is the problem. The walls are broken down. Let's build up and rise like you've been wanting to do for 100 years. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm here with you. I'm going to help you. And this will remove the reproach. And besides that, look at how God has been leading. You wouldn't believe it. I was there and I went before the king and he said yes. And look at this letter that he gave me. It's absolutely amazing. I was in prayer and look at what God did. So testimonies are powerful. So we tell what God has done in our lives. We've seen God's mighty work here in our local congregation and individual lives. And around the world, God is on the rise. God is on the move. And he's called us to build up the kingdom of God, to finish the work of God, so that the reproach of God can be removed and we can go to heaven to build up the new Jerusalem and live in the new Jerusalem forever and ever. So that God can finish his work. And he's waiting on us. And as we look around us today, we're in the same situation they were. Oh, we can look down on them. Oh, it took 100 years and they still haven't built those walls. And look at how long we've been here since the Messiah has come and rose and been resurrected. And we're still here. We should be home long before now. We should have taken this gospel to the world long before this. But we're not moving forward consistently. We're moving and stopping and moving and stopping. And there's still lots of holes in the walls of God's kingdom. Walls are still broken down. Lives are still broken down. Hearts and minds are broken down. There's still division and open sores and wounds that need to be healed and built up and strengthened. There's still aspects of the word of God that are left out and ignored. And it all needs to come together as a fortified wall around God's people, protecting God's people. 
and we need to work together team together not pulling apart but let's build together let's build up the walls and the reproach will be removed the vision will be removed and God has been working God has been working in hearts and minds God is bringing people to him souls are being saved people are being delivered from sin marriages are being healed lives are being restored minds are being restored a love for God is taking place victory over sin in people's lives is happening and God's truth is going forward and spreading and continuing to spread and just like here well, we see the result of this he speaks up and he says and they said to him then let us rise up and build and they set their hands to this good work he encouraged them and they said yes let's do it let's move forward he inspired them and they rose up to finish off the work of God that had been started but when the hornet and the guy who smelled like Ammonia. They pulled in a third guy, this Geshem Arab, heard of it. So they spread the bad news. They laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And that is how it was then. That is how it was before. And that is how it is today. When God sends his spirit, and God raises up in the people's hearts the desire to move forward and to unify together and finish off his work. There will be always those who oppose it. And not only oppose it, but then they get other people, they get other people to join forward to oppose it as well. Again, they're not happy just being opposed to it themselves. They want others opposed to it as well. Until everybody is miserable, they're not happy. Misery loves company. And so they bowl this Arab in on it. And generally, those three groups would have been the hornets and the the, Am 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 the Ammonites and the, and the Arabs, they hate each other. They fight against each other, but they found this common enemy to fight against God's people, the children of Israel. And that's how it is today. And how it will be in these last days. All the world will wander after the beast and seek our destruction. Even if they hate each other. They will unite on that one cause and that one plan and that one goal. And so they will rise up and they will laugh. They will mock. Oh, you're going to finish off God's work? You've been saying forever that the Lord is coming again. Where has he been all these years? You've tried and tried again. It hasn't happened yet. And then false lies. You will rebel. You're rebelling against the king. Rebelling against the king? I got these letters from the king. What do you mean I'm rebelling against the king? I served him. I went to him. I asked his permission. He said, yes, here he signed his name. What do you mean rebel? But they don't care. The facts can be there. And they ignore the facts and they lie anyway. That is a fact of life. They were people who will lie anyway. No matter what you say, no matter how much documentation, no matter how many witnesses you have, they will lie to tear you down. So just expect it. What happened before, they did it to Yeshua. They did it to Nehemiah. They're going to do it to you. It's just the way it is. It's what Satan does. He is the father of lies and encourages lying and spreads lies. We need to be in tune with the word of God and not listen to the lie. But judge rightly, serve justice, hear the facts of the matter, and have the wisdom of God, and not be deceived by the lies of this world. And so they laughed and they scorned them. And in our lives, we should expect to come head to head with the devil. If we're not, we must be walking in the same direction he is. Right? You don't want that, right? So 
You should expect opposition to come, especially as blessings are taking place, especially as God is on the move and the people's hearts are moving with God. And Satan's going to rise up even more like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Remember one time we had a situation, God opened up an opportunity for the ministry to move forward even more and, and God said, oh no, does this mean I'm going to get attacked again? Satan always attacks her more than, more than me as God's moving in our lives. And that's to be expected. But unfortunately, some people skirt away and run away every, every hint of opposition. Oh no. Right? Moses comes along He says, God said he's going to deliver us. And the people said, great. And he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way. And now on top of that, you're a bunch of lazy bums. Go get your own straw. And so Moses went back and said, they said, we have to make our own straw. They said, then go away, Moses. You're not from God. We don't want this. God worked 10 plagues, miracle after miracle. We leave Egypt. We're free. Come to the Red Sea, opposition again. Pharaoh comes chasing us, walls on either side, Pharaoh's chariots in the sea in front of us. Moses, why'd you bring us out here? Let's go back. Let's surrender to Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. We move forward in the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh tries to chase us with his chariots and army, and the sea closes on them, and destroys them, we're free. We have no water, we have no food. Moses, why'd you bring us out here? We want the leeks and onions. Let's go back to Egypt. Every sign of opposition, every sign of difficulty and trouble, there are those who want to just give up and give heart and then blame those who are encouraging the work of God to move forward, to be free to enter into the promised land. That's what we're seeing here. History repeating itself, and so it will be in our lives as well. The key is the choice of what side do we want to be on? Do we want to be on the side of faith, building up the work of God, working together for building the walls and strengthening one another, and continuing with the work of God and building it up and building it up? Or do we want to be among those on the outside tearing it down or even on the inside tearing it down? That's the choice we get to make. God's work is going to continue forward with us or without us. might slow it down, but it's going to continue and it will be finished. But in the judgment, what side will we be found on? What will the record, the eternal record, say about us? Satan is constantly working to try and tear down God's work. And we see it now. We've seen it over a period of time. We tried to tear it down and get people to not be able to go to services. Oh, it's non-essential business. Or, oh, yeah, you can open back up at only a 15% capacity. Or even, okay, you can open up. But after so much time of, 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 of lying and lying and lying, people are terrified and afraid. Maybe they don't tell Walmart and Home Depot you can only be open to 15% capacity. People are afraid. And Satan knows that's one way to destroy the work of God. Oh, we've got a live stream, and, and yeah, God can use that, and God does use that. But it's not the same. The spiritual walk with God, the walls of God's kingdom, the city is built up and established The godly walk is established a table on four legs. On the word of God. On prayer. On witnessing. And on fellowship. All four are important. You pull one leg out and the table falls. A person who goes to service every week and fellowships every week and and prays with the congregation every week but doesn't read the word of God will be weak or doesn't pray on their own, will be weak. Or someone who goes and listens to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, they're on the internet listening to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, but not involved in witnessing to others, will be weak, not balanced, not stable. 
or not in fellowship. They might be witnessing and telling everybody through online or whatever, but not in fellowship with believers. That's an important aspect. Yeshua came in the flesh. He didn't just send messages for eternity. He came to be with us, to tabernacle with us. Moses built a tabernacle so that God can tabernacle with us, to be with us. Solomon built the temple so God's presence would tabernacle with us. Yeshua came down to tabernacle with us, to be with us. From the beginning, we see him calling us together, to unite together, to be together. Tribes together, to unite together. The dividing up of the country into sections so that we could be together. The coming together, the pilgrim feasts in Jerusalem so that we could be together. The Shabbat, so we can come together and be together. Because their fellowship is important. We're encouraged in prayer. We're encouraged in the word of God. We're encouraged to pray for other people, to see their needs, to know their needs firsthand, and to be prayed with, prayed for firsthand. Oh, yeah, you can send a letter to some ministry and they'll put you on the prayer list, and they don't even know you nothing about you. To be accountable, to be known, to be encouraged. Didn't you share with us that you were wanting to do that thing? Well, we want to help you do that thing. We want to build you up and encourage you to do that, meet that goal, to move forward. Not tearing you down, not judging you with it, but wanting to help you. Hold your arms up as you move forward in that goal. To know one another, build up the kingdom of God. And they will know we are believers by our Bible knowledge? No. They will know that we are believers by our love for one another. You can't love your computer screen. You have to love people. We have to be knit together with people. To care for one another. To pray for one another. To minister to one another. And Satan has always been in the midst trying to divide people. He's given up trying to hide the word of God. He tried that during the dark ages. <laughs> Burn the Bible and outlaw the Bible. And so now he's using another method to try and stop the work, the work of God. Again, that four-step four balance, four-leg balance that we need to have in our lives. All of it coming together. That's why Nehemiah left. He could have just sent messages. He didn't just send messages. Nehemiah left Susa and came to Jerusalem. Again, Yeshua left and came to Jerusalem. She was coming into our lives and hearts and minds to build us up, to strengthen us, to build the walls, to work together, to finish God's work, to remove the reproach. And God will be with us doing miraculous things. And we will see his power at work in our lives. In spite of the opposition, in spite of the naysayers, in spite of all those around us that despise us. And so how does Nehemiah re reply to these? What, do they, what does he do? These three guys, this official, and he's, he's Arab, and this hornet guy, what does he do? So I answered them, and I said to them, the God of heaven will himself prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. He puts them in their place. He exalts God. God has called us. He couldn't have done this on day one. He had to wait till day four. He had to see it for himself. He had to get the people encouraged. He had to, the people had to know that he knew what saw it and, and had confidence in him. And he's able to call them out. God of heaven himself will do it. And same today, the God of heaven himself the Lord God Almighty, the King of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who has worked in ages past, the one who parted the Red Sea, the one who defeated the, the pharaohs, the one who has seen us to this day, the one who has worked miracle after miracle after miracle, the one who has worked in our own individual lives, he, that Lord, oh God, he will prosper us. And we, his servants, united together, will arise and we will build. 
in spite of your opposition, we will build. We will move forward. We will unite together. God's work will go forward. And you have no heritage or right. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. You have no right in our midst, in our lives. That's what he told these three guys. And it's the same today in the political scene, in the earthly scene, in the spiritual realm as well. You have no right or memorial in Jerusalem. Literal Jerusalem or in spiritual God's people, the hearts and minds of God's people. You have no right here. The anti-Messiah will try and set himself up in the midst of his people of God. But he has no right here. The Lord God Almighty will reign in our hearts and minds. And we will work. And we will build up the kingdom of God. What say ye? So as we prepare to pray, are we willing to work together, to unite together, to build up the work of God in this area and as God uses us to, out, to reach out to others in prayer, in messages, and maybe physically go to Honduras or wherever and uses us to go? Are we willing to build up the kingdom of God, working in his midst in spite of opposition, In spite of the majority being against God's word, are we willing to stand together and work together to build up God's work and to finish God's work so that we can see Yeshua coming on the clouds? If that is your commitment, if that is your desire, then in a moment when we pray, let's ask God to work in our hearts and minds, to knit us together in love, to encourage one another, to build one another up, and to finish the walls. Secondly, there's some area in your life. Maybe there's some decision you're needing to make. Maybe there's some path you're wanting to take. Maybe some area you want to grow in your life. You need wisdom and knowledge to know who to tell and who not to tell. Who will bless you, who will help you, and when to tell and when to let it be known further. In a moment when we pray, ask God to give you wisdom. Anyone who lacks wisdom, ask God and he will show you. I'll show you regarding your individual situation. Those who will encourage you on, those who will fight you and oppose you. Those who will give you wise wisdom, if maybe it's a bad course, right? Who'll give you wise wisdom and those who will say, yeah, go on, go on, do whatever, go over the cliff, you know. May God give you wisdom to know who to share with and who not to. Third, if there's some area in your life God's revealing where you've been more like the hornet and tearing people down and stinging people and opposing people and laughing at people and hurting people and slowing down God's work instead of increasing God's work. Then you can confess it, receive the forgiveness of God, receive the mercy of God, and receive the sacrifice of God. Receive Yeshua's sacrifice in your behalf, be cleansed and delivered, receive of the Spirit of God, change your life, to change your heart, to change your mind, to renew all things in you, and to live in your heart and mind and to make you like a Nehemiah. And so if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, you can let God do that change in your life. If there's an area in your life that there's some broken down walls, area in your life where you're not balanced and not stable, maybe those four areas I mentioned, maybe you're missing one of the legs, of the Word of God, prayer, personal prayer, fellowship, corporate prayer, corporate Word of God, corporate interaction with people, and forth witnessing to others, telling others. There's an area where the wall is broken down in your life in that area. Maybe three other strong areas of a wall, but that one area is broken down. Or maybe some other analogy, area in your life, like the young ruler who came to Yeshua and he said, there's one area where you're lacking. Maybe there's one area where there's an open hole in the wall and Satan's able to come in and snake in and cause disruption. God's been convicting you of some sin in your life. Some open area in your life. Some area in your life where you're doing wrong and you know you shouldn't. Some area you're not doing what you know you should be doing. In a moment when we pray, you can confess that, give that over to the Lord, 
and ask the Lord to build up that wall, to seal it with his blood, to seal it with his life, for him to stand in the gate for you, for him to cast the devil out, for him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, let's ask God to do his work in our life. Maybe there's an area in the congregation where you see a wall broken down, a hole in the wall, an area that needs building up, an area that needs strengthening. You want to be a part of God's work building it up in a moment when we pray. Let's first, like Nehemiah did, spent four months praying about it before he went forward and just pushed forward. Let's start with prayer. Maybe an area you haven't been praying about. And maybe let God show you what's the next step. And how God can use you in healing and building up the walls, broken down areas of God's work. Let's pray together. If any of those areas apply to you, maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let's let God do his work in us and through us. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord. For you are a mighty God. Nothing is impossible for you. Thank you for your work in the past. Thank you for your promise for the present. Thank you for your promises into the future. Lord, move upon our hearts and minds and cleanse us of all sin and everything that works against you. Put us on your side, keep us on your side, and use us hand in hand, arm in arm, building up the work of God. And finish your work so that we can go home. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.